0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And here's your host, Will Musto.
1: What's the best way to get more oxygen into your system when you're in the middle of a hard training run? That's a question that today's guest, Patrick McCune, has the answer to, and it's probably not the answer you'd expect. Patrick McCune is the author of the book The Oxygen Athlete, in which he proposes methods to increase your body's oxygen efficiency very quickly, mostly through a basic step, breathing through your nose. Here are some of the things we're going to talk about in this interview. 1. The physiological differences between breathing through your nose and through your mouth. 2. Transitioning from breathing through your mouth to breathing through your nose. 3. Using breath holding to simulate high-altitude training, and 4 achieving higher levels of concentration during both training and the rest of life through proper breathing. I think this is a must-listen interview for anybody who hasn't investigated this method of breathing yet, and I'm really excited to talk to Patrick about his research. Welcome back to another episode of the Run to the Top podcast brought to you by Runners Connect. I'm Will Musto, and today we have a special guest, Patrick McCune. Patrick I've already given a little bit of an introduction about you, but go ahead and tell the audience in the own words, about in your own words, about your background.
0: Um, sure, delighted to. Basically, my my background was that I came across and I became involved and fascinated by breathing, um, primarily due to respiratory conditions. I had asthma, I had sleep disorder breathing, and with that, I would have had racing mind and poor concentration because. It's generally all interconnected so it was about 14 years ago I started becoming more involved with meditation um, and also I found out about the work of a Russian doctor Konstantin Buteko. Mm-hmm. so I traveled over to him I was trained by him and then I started opening up clinics in Ireland to deal specifically with people with asthma Then I helped people with snoring, and then that led on to people involved with, um, from both an amateur and professional sports point of view. So I suppose it's very useful. My background is that I've quite a lot of experience dealing with generally with people with, primarily it was people with, with respiratory conditions. But then we started working with people who were absolutely perfectly respiratory, but learning a way of how to improve and maximize their sports performance. Cool. Um, and now you've written a book
1: titled The Oxygen Athlete, uh, which is due out you know, sometime probably in the next six months. And you have a website also, oxyathlete.com. Um, tell me, I guess, tell me about that. Let's talk about the basics of, of The Oxygen Athlete. Um, and sure. You know, just kind of what what is what would be the thesis statement maybe of
0: of that book or that website? And um, well, there there is two parts to it. I I have met so many athletes who breathe incorrectly in everyday breathing and breathing. It's often put. It's often the last thing considered by an athlete. You know, an athlete. We look at food intake. We look at muscle conditioning, but we don't look at breathing and generally during a race the one part of the body that lets the individual down is the lungs so we should be giving attention to breathing and if we're breathing or if we have <clears throat> if we have poor breathing habits during the day, it's not likely to change during an event so the first part about the oxygen athlete is addressing everyday poor breathing habits and poor breathing habits will be breathing through the mouth breathing through the mouth during sleep, having a sigh every now and again, upper chest breathing, having audible breathing. So the second part of the oxygen athlete then is practicing breathing exercises, which involve holding the breath. And they're designed to drop the oxygen saturation in the blood. And by doing that then, the body makes adaptations. So in a way, we're simulating high altitude training. And most of your, your athletic listeners are going to be aware that since the 1960s, athletes have always been going up into high altitude to subject their body to a lower, a lower amount of oxygen. And with doing that, it improves oxygen carrying capabilities. And that in turn then improves the amount of oxygen that can be delivered from the blood to working muscles during competition. So there are two real factors to it. And with the first factor in that we have a breath hold time that measures the degree of breathlessness of an athlete. Mm -hmm. And basically, it involves taking a small breath in through your nose, a small breath out through your nose, and you hold your nose. You time in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe, or the first distinct urges to breathe, or the first stress of your body to breathe. At that point, you let go and you resume breathing through your nose. Now, the breath at the end should be relatively calm. OK, the key to this is the lower your breath all time, the greater the degree of breathlessness during physical exertion. So in essence, we can determine the breathlessness of an athlete by basically measuring their breath all time. And this is many researchers since the 1950s um, it was repeated again 1975 by Stanley, um, 2005 and 2009 by Nishino. That quite a number of researchers have determined that a very good way of measuring breathlessness is to count how many seconds can an individual hold their breath for comfortably after an exhalation. And even a book based, it's written, it's called Respiratory Physiology for Sports. It's written by William McArdle and colleagues. And he, he said in one part of that book is that When an athlete exhales, they should be able to hold their breath for 40 seconds until they feel the need or desire to breathe back in again. Now, I'm sure you will have seen it. Well, I have seen it many, many times. We have athletes, even I've, I've seen athletes, Olympic level athletes having a breath toll time of between 10 and 20 seconds. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And When that is happening, we know then that everyday breathing has been hindering performance. And what that means to an athlete is that the amount of breathlessness for a given level of exercise is going to be quite intense. But also an athlete will find that when when their breath hold time is low, they'll find that they will detrain quite easily. So it's difficult for them to keep their fitness levels up. If they stop training for a period of time, they'll lose fitness Mm -hmm. quite easily because their everyday breathing is holding them back. Interesting. Now another factor of that yeah. Uh, Another factor of that is that oxygen, the release of oxygen, if you can imagine when we take a breath in through our nose and the breath is passed into the lungs and in the lungs oxygen passes from the lungs into the blood, where it's picked up by hemoglobin and the hemoglobin then carry oxygen around the body for it to be released. The release of oxygen from the red blood cells depends on the gas called carbon dioxide. But if one is going around heavy breathing during rest or taking big breaths, we're losing carbon dioxide. So we lower carbon dioxide concentrations in the lungs in the blood and tissues and then cells. So basically what it means is that the heavier we breathe, the more we blow off carbon dioxide and less oxygen is being released from the red blood cells to tissues and organs. You can think of this very easily. If I asked anybody, well, most individuals to take five or six big breaths in and out of their mouth, they'll start feeling maybe lightheaded or dizzy. Right. So we have to ask what's happening there. And I've also met athletes getting near blackouts during intense physical exercise and fainting as well from the exertion they put themselves through. The heavier you breathe, the more you lose carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide, not just a waste gas, we need a certain amount of it for normal functioning. When we lose too much CO2, blood vessels constrict. And the carotid artery, which is the main blood vessel to the brain, it's been shown that it can constrict by up to 50% from heavy breathing. Secondly, the bond between oxygen and red blood cells strengthens. So, to tie it all in, the heavier you breathe, the less oxygen is being released from the blood to tissues and organs.
1: Yeah! Wow, that's that. uh really something I'd never thought of before. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, and you know, I I'll add another thing. I actually think the other belief is paramount. I've gave talks to. Um, athletes who were due to run the Dublin City Marathon, they were due to run on the bank holiday Monday during October last year. And I gave a talk to to a group on the Sunday before that. And I asked them a question. I said, who here believes you'll get more oxygen into your blood? Who here believes that you will increase oxygenation of your blood by taking a big breath or big breaths? And 95% of that group put up their hands. And I said, ironically... It's the wrong thing to do because if you think of it this way, light breathing is a really good sign for fitness and heavy breathing is a sign of poor health and if, if you if you hired an elite athlete Hussein Bolt, straight you know to give you an example yeah. and you went for for a run with him, you're going to expect his breathing to be light for a given level of exercise mm-hmm. And that can be measured by his breath hold time. So I would expect an individual like Usain Bolt to have a very high breath hold time. Whereas an individual who's getting very breathless on a field or track is going to have a lower breath hold time. And to improve breath hold times, the first thing we do is we learn to breathe in and out through our nose all of the time, both during the day and also during sleep. We also teach how to bring breathing from the upper chest down into the diaphragm. And we also teach how to bring your breathing volume down to slow it down to the point that you reset the respiratory center in the brain. This develops that you develop a better tolerance for carbon dioxide. And when you have a higher tolerance to carbon dioxide or a reduced ventilatory response to carbon dioxide, your breathing is lighter. When your breathing is lighter during rest, your breathing is lighter during physical exercise. That makes sense. So,
1: does that mean you can you can generally, um, you know, not not exactly, but generally te- test or predict the fitness level of an individual just by a breath te- breath holding test?
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. Wow,
1: that's that's fascinating
0: too. I would have never never thought about that. Um, yeah. Um and I've measured breath toll times of probably about six thousand individuals. And it's it's it, it gives you a really, really good feedback. Now it can be a little bit subjective because you're asking the individual to hold their breath until the first definite desire to breathe. Right. But generally I'll see it because the the neck muscles will tend to contract or the diaphragm will, will contract. So the body the body sends a signal at that point. Right. Cool so um
1: physiologically you know when when you breathe through your nose rather than through your mouth what what different is happening there
0: i think it's huge um first of all breathing through the mouth on a continuous basis it makes you more breathless you get used to heavier breathing because the mouth is a bigger space okay So whether it's during physical exercise or at rest, the more you breathe through your mouth, the more breathless you will tend to be. Secondly, there's a gas called nitric oxide, and nitric oxide is a very important vasodilator. It helps open up the blood vessels, and the nose is recognized to be an excellent source for nitric oxide. So when you breathe in through your nose, you're carrying a portion of nitric oxide gas into your lungs, into your blood, And here it helps open up the airways and it also helps to open up the blood vessels.
1: Okay.
0: A third factor, individuals with asthma, when they breathe through their mouth, they tend to have cooling of the airways and dehydration of the airways and this will cause bronchoconstriction. Mm -hmm. Now, it won't just cause bronchoconstriction in individuals with asthma. There are many individuals who will have some bronchoconstriction tendencies and as long as they breathe through their mouth, their airways may be constricting in response to that. Fourthly, nose breathing tends to activate the diaphragm and diaphragmatic breathing is a more relaxed, um, efficient form to breathe. Because if you think of the shape of the lungs, the area with the greatest um, amount of blood is going to be in the lower part. You know, the the area... where the greatest gas exchange takes place will be in the lower part of the lungs and not the upper. And if you have an individual who's breathing through their mouth quite often, they'll tend to be upper chest breathing, but that's their reserve. So when, when they want to do, you know, extreme physical exercise, they have no reserve left because they're already using it during rest. Right. Nasal breathing also helps to maintain a rhythmic breathing. And it'll also bring down the heart rate. For example, if you're doing the same amount of exercise with your mouth open or mouth closed, you, you can expect your heart rate to come down probably by about 10 to 20 beats during that time. Now, initially, it does take a little bit of practice. And the first time an individual starts breathing through their nose during running, they're going to feel that they're not getting enough air because it's an extra resistance.
1: Right.
0: However, in about six to eight weeks you'll notice a phenomenal difference in your fitness levels. So it's really worth putting in the effort because you're conditioning your body to be able to do the same amount of exercise with less Less, breathing. Less oxygen, yeah. Uh, Or less less breathing, less oxygen. Less breathing. And you know, there's there's another point without, without crossing it there. When you breathe through your mouth, you'll tend to get a lot more dehydrated. Right. Like if I have a glass here, if I exhale onto it with my mouth, I've lost a lot of moisture. moisture. Exactly. Whereas if I do the same with my nose, I don't. So if, for instance, an athlete is running in warm weather, they'll tend to be, or there may be a possibility of greater dehydration when they're breathing through their mouth than through their nose.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: And then, uh, I several
1: years ago, I had read about you know the the benefits a little bit of the benefits of nose breathing over mouth breathing for distance runners and kind of the key point of the stuff that you know the materials that i read back then was the you know the warming of the air um by coming through your nostrils instead of through your mouth uh is that that's a pretty big effect too right
0: yeah it, it, it definitely is because as, as i said you know it, it's been well recognized that people, especially if, if you've got bronchi if, if right. there's a tendency for the airways to narrow, um, they can narrow due to a cooling effect because when air comes in through the, the nose, it's conditioned before it gets to the lungs. But when it's drawn in through the mouth, if you were to look at the, the, the nose itself, the part of the nose on the face is only about 30%. Yeah, And the best way, what I, what I say to my students is, you know, if you want to get an idea of the, the size of the nose, put your tongue into the roof of the mouth like that and drag your tongue all the way back along the hard palate, along the soft, to reach the soft palate. The roof of the mouth is the floor of the nose. Okay. So, so if you were to look yeah. at a You know, the inside of it there, you'll see that the nasal cavity goes well back and there's turbinates there. And nature doesn't waste space. Right. The skull occupies the brain and nature is too intelligent. It's not going to take space from the brain and give it to the nose if the nose was just to be an ornament. (laughs) I would consider nasal breathing to be one of the most crucial functions and the nose to be an important organ. And it's it's relatively recent that we started running with our mouths open. There's documented evidence of the tarihumara tribe mm-hmm. in, I think it's Mexico, yeah. definitely some part of South America. And apparently their main form of breathing is nasal breathing. Okay. Um, we also know that as, as a population, we really only started mouth breathing in the 1600s. And that was when individuals changed from a normal diet over to a sugar diet. They know that individuals were mouth breathing by the shape of their skull. Huh. Mouth breeders develop, if you're a mouth breather during childhood, you develop narrow facial structures, jaws that are set back and smaller airways. So in the book I've spoken about, if we want to create an athlete, the time is teach children to breathe in and out through their nose nose. yeah and now what would be
1: you know listeners listening and they're like wow i really want to try this nasal breathing thing i want to make that transition what's the first excuse me what's the first step to make
0: that transition patrick well the first step would be to learn how to unblock the nose okay and it's very easy to decongest the nose basically you take a small breath in through your nose a small breath out through your nose, you hold your nose and you walk about holding your breath until you feel a fairly strong air shortage. And then you let go of your nose, you resume breathing into your nose and allow your breathing to calm down. Or I'll give you a different way of doing it. You can take a small breath into your nose, a small breath out through your nose, you hold your nose and just sway holding your breath for as long as possible as if you're underwater. So you're holding your breath for as long as possible to trap carbon dioxide, to allow carbon dioxide to accumulate. And the accumulation of carbon dioxide will shrink um, or will constrict the swollen blood vessels in the nose. So therefore, you've got the nose decongested. It's easier to breathe in and out through the nose. Then I would encourage all athletes, when they're doing physical exercise, is to walk for the first 10 minutes. Now, I know that might seem... God Almighty, like, what's he saying there? But we want to do a proper warm-up. If you think of Mm warm-up, a warm-up means that you're conditioning the body, you're getting the body warmer in preparation for more intense physical exercise. Yeah, and that's what, you know, you'll you'll
1: hear about, like, Kenyan training groups um, doing that, walking for the first several minutes of their runs and then kind of progressing from a walk down to, you know, whatever, over 20 miles, like, 440 pace or whatever at the end of the run
0: anyway sorry go ahead (laughs) sorry well it's just a reception there I lost you a little bit I hope you can hear me there yeah I can hear you okay perfect um so I didn't get just quite what you said but if we think about a warm-up I'm assuming you can still hear me there yes sir excellent when we think about a warm-up the release of oxygen from the red blood cells, if we were to look at the oxygen dissociation curve, we see, we see um, a vertical axis and a horizontal axis, and we see a nest-shaped curve. Right. The factors that cause the release of oxygen from the red blood cells are increased temperature and carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide affects pH, making it more acidic. The curve shifts to the Right. Okay. So for a warm-up, a warm-up is to gently build up the body, um, going gently for the first 10 minutes, causing a shift of the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve to the right to allow more oxygen to be released from the red blood cells. After 10 minutes of going easy, now during the 10 minutes, I encourage, and I do it myself, is to do breath pulls for 10 minutes. Okay. So while, while walking is to breathe in, breathe out, and hold the breath. Um, hold a breath until you build up a medium air shortage then release while you're continuing walking so we, with that then you can simulate to some effect high altitude training so after 10 minutes then gently going jogging at about maybe you know at a pace I'm I'm in kilometers so I'm not sure what That's you fine. are in miles um, you can talk in kilometers just, so basically then in kilometers then I would up, 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 increase the pace to about 8 kilometers per hour and run at that then for about 10 minutes. Now, after you've done a 10-minute warm-up and you've done a 10-minute of a light jog, then your body is fully warm, and then you increase the pace flat out with breathing in and out through your nose. Now, of course, your ability to run nasal breathing will depend on your breath hold time. If your breath toll time is 10 seconds, you'll generally be only able to maybe fast walk breathing through your nose. If your breath toll time is 20 seconds, you'll be able to jog. If your breath toll time is 30 seconds, you'll be able to fast jog. And if your breath toll time is 40 seconds, you can maximum pace. So at a 40 second breath toll time, it doesn't matter whether you're breathing through your nose or through your mouth because your breathing is far more efficient. Okay. So really, the whole point of it is is to go easy with the warm-up. You know, we're going easy for 10 minutes. We're doing breath holds for the 10 minutes. We're feeling our body is warm. After 10 minutes, we then go easy with a jog for 10 minutes. And then there's 20 minutes have passed, then maximum pace. And again, going as fast as you can while breathing through your nose. And I also have people do breath holding then when they're doing a maximum pace. And breath holding during a maximum pace Conditions your body. It's driving you into anaerobic metabolism, but it's also dropping your oxygen saturation in the blood to less than 90%. And what happens then is, when you lower your oxygen saturation in the blood to less than 90%, your spleen, which which is an organ, it's your, it's your blood bank. Mm-hmm. Your spleen has about 8% of the total red blood cell count in the body. Your spleen contracts. So if you think of it, you're running you hold your breath your oxygen saturations drop to below 90% your spleen your body senses a drop of oxygen so your spleen starts releasing more red blood cells into circulation so your hemoglobin increases your hemoglobin because it carries your oxygen means that you can get more oxygen delivered to working muscles so now, so that's
1: how you you know cuz your book mentions uh, simulating you know high altitude training that that is how you do that you know by the uh by holding excuse me i'm sorry by the breath hold during maximum pace running um i mean the whole process we just talked about but even the the goal there would be to be able to breath hold during maximum pace running
0: yeah it's not even during maximum pace running but you could do it during. i would even have people do it during the warm-up so you could do it during the warm-up you can do it during the jog and you can do it during maximum pace running Now, of course, it's quite tough during maximum pace running. Right. right? And you you don't want to hold your breath too much that it totally disrupts your breathing because then it's going to be very uncomfortable. (laughs) But you can bring in breath holds as well. Because when you will find that you reach a level, when your breath hold time is pretty good and you're at maximum pace, You'll find that your breathing is very, it's very rhythmic, it's calm, it's gentle, it's regular. You know, it's very surprising. It's not this puffing and panting. Right. So then you can, if you're able to, put in a breath hold during the maximum race. But you can do it at any stages. We, I use seven different exercises. Okay. Um, three of them are designed to reset the respiratory center to tolerate more carbon dioxide. So you have a higher breath hold time and three or four, one of them is for breathing recovery after sports and three of them then are to simulate high altitude training. And I'll tell you another reason um, for high altitude training. Your kidneys release the hormone called EPO. Right. Erythropoietin. I'm sure you've you've heard of it. I think it's a, it's not too far from the tongues of most people after the Lance Armstrong story. Exactly. So, when you hold your breath, your kidneys are slightly hypoxic. And in turn, they start synthesizing this hormone, EPO. And one of the functions, or the function of EPO is, it, causes the sti- it stimulates the bone marrow to release more red blood cells into circulation, because that's why people take EPO. Right. You take EPO, it's a hormone, so it's sending a signal, The bone marrow is signaled, receives a signal to start releasing more red blood cells into circulation. So when you hold your breath or if you go up into high altitude training, there's two effects. One is spleen contraction and the second is EPO increase or synthesization by the kidneys. Yeah, absolutely. And that's
1: awesome. (laughs) That's very beneficial, obviously. Um, the seven exercises that you mentioned, those are available in, in your book or on your website or both?
0: Um, I've put in a couple on the website. Okay. There's videos there. The nose unblocking one is there. The reduced breathing one, which is a really important one, is there. And there will be a video ab- of it there. Um, I've put in as well quite a lot of information, say, from a cardiovascular point of view. Okay. Because when we breathe heavy it's causing vasoconstriction so blood vessels constrict right now our heart is a muscle Mm -hmm. and like any muscle it also requires blood flow and oxygen for it to work properly so as your blood vessels constrict your heart gets less blood and then it doesn't work as efficiently exactly and not only that you'll find that it could be and i'm putting the question out there that young athletes who are experiencing cardiac arrest we have to ask the question is it because they're pushing their body too much and they're breathing too excessively and this in turn is causing reduced oxygenation of the heart and it's been shown that hyperventilation in some individuals can affect the electrical pulsation or the you know the electrical conduct of the heart and that's a sudden, a sudden cardiac death is when the electrical signals that are monitoring or that are, are organizing the pulse, they become completely chaotic. So how we breathe is influencing how much oxygen is reaching the heart. So it's really important, not just from a health, not just from a performance point of view, but, but also from a cardiovascular point of view. And, you know, <clears throat> there's so there's so many different angles to this well there's another one when free radicals for example when you breathe quite mm-hmm. heavy quite heavily you've got it you you produce more free radicals and free radicals are basically that they're they result from normal metabolic activity but when we breathe heavy we produce more of them and Free radicals are they're also known as reactive oxygen species in that they attack other cells so they they can be implicated in causing injury in causing disease, and in some studies in causing cancer wow,
1: okay.
0: now we know from some breath hole studies that when you incorporate breath holes, it reduces the amount of free radicals so on that basis then in order to help avoid or reduce injury, breath holding should be a very important component of an athlete's training. And also, you know, the amount of air that we're breathing. And basically they looked at, they looked one study that I can remember is they looked at individuals who were running Martin of the sands in the Sahara Mm -hmm. desert. And this is, one Martin per day for six days across the Sahara Desert during which athletes carried their own food and they measured the amount of free radicals circulating at the end of the six days and they found them to be very very high okay. so we can, we can also overdo it as human beings but one way to help limit that would be to of course breathe in and out mm-hmm. through your nose because we're not taking so much air into the body and secondly then to do our breath toll yeah now uh
1: moving a little bit from the i mean obviously physiology is still going to be involved but moving from the from the physiology from the more technical uh you know talk about this t- tell me about uh let's, let's you know let's move a little bit more practical to where you know how how can people um you know how are pe- how is this going to affect people's training um, and your book talks a little bit about a a blood oxygen level test. Tell me about the the bolt. Tell me about the bolt.
0: Yeah, the, the bolt. The bolt is your measurement of breathlessness. Remember, at the start, okay. I, I didn't call it. But bolt, that's what that was. That was pretty much what okay. it was. Um, so your bolt is your body oxygen level test, and it's it's pretty much the length of time that you can comfortably hold your breath for. Right. Now. I've called it BOLT, and the reason being, even though the breath hold time is measuring your tolerance to carbon dioxide, we need to bear in mind that the release of oxygen from the red blood cells is dependent on carbon dioxide. So the higher your BOLT, the better your tolerance for carbon dioxide, and as a result, the lighter your breathing, and the more oxygen that's released from the red blood cells. So... The three ways then when we were in the summary of improving the bolt is is to address everyday breathing. If we're sleeping with the mouth open, we're going to wake up groggy. Our breathing is going to be heavy during our sleep and that's going to affect our sports performance. If we go around our day sighing and taking these big breaths or breathing through our mouth all of the time, it's going to negatively affect our sports performance. Right. So the foundation, the foundation is get our breathing right during rest. Okay. Um, So
1: let's say somebody has, you know, it's a a bolt score. Is that directly related to the number of seconds that you can, uh, that you hold that you're able to hold your breath in a breath holding test?
0: So the the bolt score, uh, yeah, the lower your bolt, the heavier you breed for a given level of exercise. So in terms of performance, you're going to be more breathless. There's less oxygen being delivered to work muscles, so therefore more production of lactic acid, which can, yeah, there's debates: is it good, is it bad? The less oxygen delivered to the heart the more likely for the airways to constrict the more likely for the generation of free radicals. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, think of it this way. If you were swimming, if we had two individuals swimming and one guy swims underwater and he goes underwater for three or four strokes and then he has to surface for air. Right. So that's the first, that's the first guy. The second guy swims underwater, and he's able to remain submerged underwater for about 50 meters before he needs to come up for air. You're going to say, well, the guy who seems to be fitter there is the second guy mm-hmm. because he can go so much further with a given level of breath. Right. And when I ask children coming in and I, I'm trying to motivate these kids to breathe through their nose and get up their bolt time. I say, which guy do you think is the higher bolt? And they will always tell you it's the guy who could swim the longer. So, in terms of efficiency, the more you can do with a, a given level of breath, the higher your bolt. Okay. And conversely, the higher your bolt, the more mm-hmm. you can do with a given level of breath. Right. Um.
1: It, it, if somebody has a high bolt test, like the, let's say one of our listeners goes out, takes you know, takes the bolt test. Uh, realizes that it's that it's their score is pretty high. That's not going to directly impact how they're training right now because they're already probably training at a level that would that would uh,
0: yeah. display that if, they've if got one, If one if one, of, if one of your listeners will has a bolt of forty seconds plus, mm-hmm. they're they're doing very well. Okay, they they I would say you know they're breathing. I've only seen one athlete out of about 6,000 people do it. And I talked about her in the book. Her name is Master Jennifer Lee. She's a Tai Chi expert. She's got six, seven black belts. She'd be one of the top people in the world in martial arts. And to attain a master, a master level, you're at the top of the top. Mm -hmm. She had a bolt of 40 seconds straight off. And her breathing was absolutely perfect. And you know, when we look at ancient arts such as Tai Chi, during competition, she told me that the judges are trying to determine if they can see the breeding of the competitors. <laughs> and if they can see the breeding of the competitors during competition, they will deduct points. Wow, okay. So any of your listeners who have a bolt of 40 seconds, I say, hats off to you. You've been doing everything correct. Is it possible for anybody to get up to that point or is it absolutely we we work that's that's the whole principle of it you know you get an individual starting off at 10 seconds and we by by them practice once they understand and you know what it's quite simple breathe through your nose don't heavy breathe during rest and practice different exercises which are quite simple and they, re- in turn, reset the respiratory center to tolerate a higher partial pressure of carbon dioxide and your bowl time increases. Okay. And even if an athlete, if they, you know, because I, I can be conscious that people don't want to interfere with their training regime if they find something that mm-hmm. works. But how about they make a change to every second day they go out training? So one day they breathe through their nose. They create a bit of resistance. And they push their body to work a little bit harder. They're feeling a little bit more breathless, but they make sure to keep their mouth closed. And if the intensity gets too much, they just slow down a little bit. By doing that, and by bringing the concepts into your everyday life, you you make the progress that way. Right. And if you're doing it um, during rest times constantly,
1: and then you know occasionally during exercise, you're going to be able to make that transition without really affecting your your training program
0: yeah 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 and one of the big parts of that is breathing with your mouth sorry breathing with your mouth closed during your sleep and I tell you what we do for for 11 years I've been encouraging my people students coming in to wear paper tape across their mouths and even when I visit the United States I encourage people to wear the paper tape. It can be bought in any drugstore. Mm-hmm. The, the brand name that we tend to use is 3M no. micropore one inch. And it's we put a tab on one side of it so it re- makes removal easier. But this quality of sleep for an individual who breathes through their mouth or breathes through their nose, there's no comparison. Mouth-breathing individuals tend to be more tired. They will wake up groggy nose breathing far more alert and calmer so as well coming up to competition Mm. i would expect the mouth breathing individual to be more stressed Mm. the nasal breathing individual to be calmer the individual with a higher bolt to be calmer because oftentimes it's nerves that that can get in the way of between success and failure Mm. and you know it's really important that we do some form of meditation and learn to still the mind so that we can enter the zone at will. And the zone is when body and mind and race become one, that there's no distinction between the runner and the race, that you become part of the race. Everything happens effortlessly. The best way to enter the zone at will, because I've spoken about this because I, this is a you know meditation it really ties in what I do anyway, because the breathing exercises, in order to do them, you have to focus on the inner body or on the breath. When you learn to focus on the inner body or the breath, you get far more control over your thought activity. And that's why the top athletes meditate.
1: Okay.
0: Because if something goes wrong or if there's a lot of pressure there, your performance is not going to be hampered by psychological pressure. From your own thoughts, so just as important it is to condition the body, we also need to condition the mind. Yeah, and meditation meditation is food for the mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that that goes into um, you talk toward kind of towards the end of the oxygen athlete uh, book about reaching higher levels of concentration, um, and and yes. that just comes. Let me know if I'm interpreting this right. You reach higher levels of concentration because you're more calm and more relaxed because you're not dealing with the higher stress levels from you know, having higher levels of oxygen. Yeah.
0: That's one. Um, first of all, when your breathing is calm and light, you have more oxygen reaching the brain because when your breathing is heavy, you're losing carbon dioxide, so you have vasoconstriction. There's reduced oxygen going to the brain. If an individual or an athlete is stressed an automatic response to stresses for our breathing to increase. And as our breathing increases, it in turn reduces oxygenation of the brain, and that can increase brain cell excitability. (laughs) So you probably remember students going into exams, and students, you know, I did it. I went into my finals, I was nervous, I started taking big breaths, and I went into my finals dizzy. So the very time that I wanted optimum oxygen of my brain... I didn't have it and of course I would definitely say that I, I lost a grade as a result of the fact that I was chronically over breathing due to stress going in because I never realized the relationship I thought by taking these big breaths I thought it was being it was doing me good mm. and even though I felt dizzy I never put two and two together Now this is going back a long time ago um, and <laughs> it's going back about 20, 20, 20 years ago but you know, what I've learned in the meantime, for high concentration, we need good breathing. We need a good bolt. And in order to attain a good bolt, we focus on our breath. The practice of focusing on our breath quietens the mind. Mm-hmm. Since, since time immemorial, humans, to quieten the mind, have either focused on a mantra or focused on their breath brought or brought their attention into the present moment or brought their attention into the inner body. But focusing on the breath is a tremendous thing to do. And during training, the time to enter the zone is not during competition. Mm -hmm. The time to enter the zone is during training. The time to enter the zone is during everyday activities. Because when you can enter the zone then, you'll easily enter the zone when you need to. The other thing is, don't care, you know? do the activity for the enjoyment of it. If we set ourselves up that we must win, we must win, we must win, and we put all of this pressure on ourselves, and we psych ourselves out, and it can have as much negativity, because oftentimes the underdog wins, Mm -hmm. and the underdog has nothing to lose. So, you know, when we're doing an activity our main thing is to have our full attention on the activity and to do the activity for its own enjoyment as opposed to an outcome. Don't be here, but you want to get to there, be here, have our attention here. Then we can apply our full entire attention and body onto the activity and we get maximum performance. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And you know, obviously that's
1: everybody's goal. Uh, now in, in the Oxygen Athlete, there's an entire section about body detoxification, what, and you may have already talked about it, um, but what does that process entail? And if you have just say, I've already talked about it and that's what this was.
0: No I haven't. Um, generally about two-thirds of people who undergo reduced breathing, and to bring their breathing volume down to normal, they will go through either a body detox or a cleansing reaction. and. Oftentimes they experience symptoms that would be conducive, it w- you know, it c- might be an aggravation of their main symptoms. For an example, somebody with rhinitis, they notice that their nose streams for the first week or so or two weeks during running. Right. Um, somebody with asthma is bringing up more mucus. Some- somebody with anxiety may get a little bit more anxious, so that's why we encourage somebody with anxiety to increase their bolt quite gently. Right. So even though we're just dealing with with breathing exercises, they're they're very, very powerful. Because if you think of it this way, the importance of a function is determined by how soon the organism perishes when we switch it off. And as human beings, we can live without food for weeks. We can live without water for days. And we can live without air for just a few minutes. we, we, we all know we must eat a certain quality of food. You don't want to be eating junk food. We all know that you must eat a certain quantity of food. We must drink a certain quality of water mm. and we must drink a certain quantity of water, air. We know about quality. We don't want to be inhaling smog, but what about the quantity? And when you get the quantity right, and by the way, the quantity is just the amount of air that we should be breathing, which is between four to six liters of air per minute. But because modern life modern life has got in the way with stress, with talking, with processed foods, um, with this belief that it's good to take in as much oxygen or air into your body as possible, that in turn has we have developed bad habits, and one of the bad habits is we developed a habit of breathing too much so when you change from breathing too much to breathing your normal amount what we should be breathing just as we should have normal blood pressure you don't want it too high you don't want it too low With breathing it's the same we want it normal when you make that transition from over breathing to normal breathing you go through a detox okay and and that'll just be that's kind of case by case person by person what that looks like um. It's case by case. You can't always predict it. It tends to happen when the bolt goes through 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and 40 seconds. Generally, it lasts for a couple of okay. days. But individuals with athletes, I don't expect and I don't, you know, I, it's very little. I see very little of a detox with athletes. Okay. Like a lot of the people that I've been working with over the years have been very, very sick individuals. So they have accumulated waste, they have chronic diseases, and they, get, they have more severe reactions. So, you know, with an athlete, it, it's quite easy. There's nothing to worry about. And if you have a detox, great. You know that your body has made a transition. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, so
1: you would say uh, the end goal, basically, of someone who reads the oxygen athlete is to become more efficient in their breathing through breathing through their nose.
0: Yeah that's the the first step of it is nasal breathing. That's absolutely the first step of it. The second step is to simulate high altitude training by doing breath hold exercises while walking, while jogging or while Mm -hmm. running. The third step is to make your run a meditation to be able to enter the zone to have better psychological control over your thought processes so we're looking at it really you know from a number of different perspectives but ultimately as the name suggests what i want to do is i want to put out the information how is oxygen released from the red blood cells Mm -hmm. it forms the foundation of not only our training but our everyday life. And yet, you know, this was discovered in 1904 by Christian Bohr, a physiologist. And he said the release of oxygen takes place in the presence of carbon dioxide. And unfortunately, an idea came in that oxygen is good and carbon dioxide is right. bad not correct we need a certain amount of oxygen we need a certain amount of carbon dioxide and if i get that message across great and if individuals then improve their bolt and bring this into their way of life great they will not only be fitter um they'll be healthier yeah and i think it's taking the two into consideration that we need to do yeah absolutely um where if someone has more questions
1: uh you know the book's not out yet but it <clears throat> excuse me it will be soon so obviously the book is a good place to go your website's a good place to go or is there a, a somewhere where
0: on your website or wherever where they can ask you questions yeah of course i'm always you know i i'm always delighted because it helps me i get feedback and um i'm always delighted to get questions um so at the moment, if, if people sign in, they, they, they submit their email on our website and they can download six free chapters okay. and a lot of this information. I've put, up, I've put up about 27 videos as well, short videos talking about EPO, about simulating high altitude training, about cardiovascular health, about psychological. Um, so there's a lot of resources on the website, if I mention it, oxyathlete.com. Actually, yeah and people download it and send me emails, and as soon as the book comes out, we'll, we'll let you know of it, you know? Absolutely. So we
1: will, uh, and we will link from our website to oxyathlete.com so that people can get to that easily. Uh, yes, right. sir. Is there anywhere else um, that you feel we should link, or is that pretty much right now, is that kind of where, where everything's hanging out?
0: From a sports perspective, it's, it's all there under Oxyathlete. Okay. And uh, in the footer, a lot of what we spoke about, um, I've put the sections from the book in the footer, so people can get a, a preview. Perfect. Yeah.
1: Perfect. Very cool. Uh,
0: well, thanks so much for your time today, Patrick.
1: I, I'm delighted. I, I think we've probably, I think we've covered everything that I intended to cover today. Um, <laughs> that's super fascinating stuff, and it's really, it's led me as I've read over your book or glanced through your book the last couple of days, and uh, you know kind of click through your website and now talking to you it's really led me to reevaluate <laughs> my breathing and I found myself uh, even just during this interview focusing a lot on uh, breathing through my nose and taking sh- you know shallower breaths but but more frequent I think that's that's uh, well
0: It's actually I just that's generally what people feel that we're doing but but I'll add something to okay. it well what we're doing is we're breathing through the nose but we do activate the diaphragm. So we are having a deep breath. You you know, if if I went out onto a street and I asked an individual, I said, take a deep breath. The first thing they'll do is they'll open their mouth and they'll take a big breath. (laughs) So a deep breath isn't a big breath. A deep breath is the most gentlest of a breath. It's the most easy, gentle, calm breath. If you look at a perfect individual, they will tend to use their diaphragm. You will not hear their breathing. You will not see their breathing. Lao Tzu was a Chinese philosopher. And 500 years BC, he said, the perfect man breathes as if he does not breathe. That's where we're going. And of course, he included woman. Um, you know, that our breathing is through the nose. It's, it's not using the chest during rest. It's using the diaphragm. The breadth, the number of breaths per minute, very gentle, regular, probably about eight to ten breaths per minute, as opposed to normal, which is up to eighteen and twenty. Okay. So we're making the, the human body more efficient. Yeah. Sorry to cut across you there, but you know what? I think that was a great yeah, opportunity. Yeah. No, absolutely. To, to, these beliefs are are there, and really, when we look at them, we, we, how something becomes so prevalent and yet it's not based on anything yeah that's <laughs> and and even you know obviously
1: i right there just kind of kind of directed the wrong way um no. but you made me remember talking about the diaphragm and and i've been trying to remember the whole the last two days i've been like i, I know i've been i've heard about diaphragm breathing before um when i was in a band and, and i played the saxophone uh that was you know my band director was always breathe three diaphragm breathe three and so uh musicians or singers probably are, are probably predisposed to breathing through, through their diaphragm, whereas someone else, uh, they may need to work a little bit towards that.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's easy, done. Yeah, though.
1: absolutely. I mean, I, I did it when I was 11, so <laughs> probably if, if I can do it when I'm 11, probably anybody can. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but anyway, thanks again, Patrick, for uh, coming on the show Thank with us well. this week. And uh, like I said, we will link to all of that. And once again, listeners, that'll be at www.runnishconnect.net/rc35, um, and we'll link to uh, we'll link to oxyathlete.com, and, uh, and you know, any other resources that were kind of mentioned throughout the interview. Um, thanks again, Patrick. It was it was my pleasure to talk to you and learn about uh, learn about your breathing method.
0: You're welcome. I am delighted to contribute well. Thank you.